0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Thank you so much for including me in your day today. Where are you in the Word? Where are you in the Word today? I am in John five twenty four. It's Faith Radio's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. You can sign up to receive it in your inbox at myfaithradio.com. John five twenty four. Jesus is speaking here and he says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in the God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. So where do you stand in this passage? Where do you stand in this promise? Have you already passed from death to life? Do you recognize that? You no longer stand under condemnation for sin because Jesus has paid it all. I mean, Jesus is like, hey, I'm telling you the truth here. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Like that's the promise of Jesus directly from his lips. So you, do you believe this truth? I mean, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Do you believe this truth? Do you believe the one who is the way and the truth and the life to tell you the truth? Do you believe, do you take God at his word? Do you take God at his word in John 5, And do you take God at his word? The word be, become flesh to dwell among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. Do you believe this? When Jesus says, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life, do you believe this? Do you take God at his word? When Jesus says, those who believe in the God who sent me, those who listen to my message, have already passed from death to life, do you believe this? Do you live in the reality that you're already dead? I mean, Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2.20. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like, do you get that as a Christian? That we are already living our eternal life in Christ. I mean, what can the world do to us if we're already dead? Nothing. All right. Now, for a headline to brighten your morning, uh, I could ask you the what's your sign question you know uh you know which the world answers with some astrological nonsense anyway i could ask you that question which would lead us down one path instead i am going to ask you what kind of signpost you are so not what's your sign but what's your sign like where are you leading others if if you were a sign in the world where would you be directing people and so i uh i saw this article uh uh oh i can't click on the link this is bad hold on pause take a breath so there's a mcdonald's and a dairy queen in missouri and they are having a sign a sign war so mcdonald's started it and the mcdonald's sign said hey do uh it might be hey dq i can't read it that closely i bet it says hey dq because that makes more sense doesn't it hey dq want to have a sign war And uh, the Dairy Queen across the street responded to, hey, DQ, want to have a sign war. And the Grill and Chill across the road said, uh, we would, but we're too busy making ice cream. To which the McDonald's replied, wow, salty, like our world famous fries. And then a bank down the street got involved. uh, And their sign now then said, don't be salty on our account. To which the Dairy Queen responded, behave or we'll flip you like our blizzards. To which the McDonald's replied, that's cute. Our ice cream makes itself. And the DQ hit back hard. You mean it actually works? Shocker. And then um, this, I like this guy who made his own homemade sign on a big yellow poster board and stuck it out uh, on the edge of the road. And he said, hey, Marshfield, Missouri, did you say sign war? Who needs ice cream? We have watermelons. And the Mexican restaurant uh, then post a uh, a sign in its window, also on a big yellow poster board. Nacho average sign. P.S. We have fried ice cream. The, uh, the bank jumped back in. Ice cream machine broken. We have a loan for that. McDonald's forged on. What's a milkman in pantyhose? A dairy queen. But dairy queen wasn't giving up. Why dine with a clown when you can eat with a queen? And then McDonald's sought to draw Sonic into the fray. Sonic makes you eat in your car. We invite you inside. And Dairy Queen then brought up the meat. Where's your meat come from, old McDonald's? And Wendy's jumped into that. Arch, how long does it take to thaw that frozen beef? And then it was an all-out war, and the bank was involved again and said, hey, just checking in on the sign war, which, of course... Uh, brought others in. Hey, sign war. We're just here for the show. Um, And that was from a real estate uh, company. So what's your sign? Like if you were broadcasting out there in the world on on the side of the road, you know, how are you going to function as a human signpost today that directs others uh, to Jesus, to the kingdom, to the kingdom's advance? Yeah, there you go. What's your sign? Nick Pitts is going to join us in just a second. Uh, I'm going to ask him that. What? Uh, what? Where's he directing people today? Where are you directing people today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Pitts is back. You can uh, find him at the Institute for Global Engagement or on Twitter at J Nick Pitts. Uh, Nick, you'll be glad to know people are chiming in. Uh, Kim is has got the fruits of the spirit on her sign. Jeff has got either got Jesus or no Jesus, no peace. I like that one. Uh, Gay says, my sign just says Jesus saves. Joe says, um, oh, well, there you go. Well, he, he's signing his as grumpy Joe, so I'm not reading it. <laughs> grumpy joe joyful jesus that's what grumpy joe's sign would say all right um nick your sign would definitely be a a joyful bright uh shiny yellow face
2: oh there it is i i feel every time i I don't know if any of your listeners can resonate every time i hear what's your sign i always think about bill Ingball from the uh the comedian with jeff foxworthy and he always totally actually it's
0: like here's your here's your sign
2: yeah, there's your mm-hmm. sign. There it is. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, mm-hmm. so good. So good to be with you. So good to be in air conditioning and record breaking oh. temperatures down here in Texas. Um, and so excited to kind of talk a little bit more.
0: Yeah, so the world is on fire and hell is hot. Yeah. So that leads us directly into our conversation about whether or not there's a satanic panic going on in
2: America right now. So you want is to hit it? some
0: of these, some of these uh, satanic panic headlines?
2: Yeah, it's it's shocking. We're seeing, you know, the devil went down to Georgia, but apparently he's not staying there because he's going everywhere. Right. And so you've got um, individuals using the satanic language in Ukraine right now, where, again, we're seeing it reiterated like it was. Back in March, when the invasion initially happened, you have uh, Russian officials beginning to say that they are fighting a holy war against a satanic enemy, inferring that Ukraine is uh, allowing uh, values and perpetuating norms that are against the church um, uh, they're starting to use some of that holy language in Russia and Ukraine. You've got it on, over in Georgia, um, with the, with the statues, uh, that came down the kind of similar to Stonehenge statues that came crumbling down that some were, um, uh, asserting that they were, uh, doing so, uh, in light of, um, uh, kind of the satanic, the, their perceived satanic, um, uh, perception of these statues. And then you've also got it on the TV uh, with Stranger Things 4 uh, continuing just to spread like wildfire across the popular imagination and um, them claiming and using some of that satanic language and imagery. So it's all over the place, Carmen.
0: It is all over the place. And so I bring it up because I think that we have become so accustomed to language that refers to Satan, um, or making light of Satan in, let's say comedy or, um, you know, or other forms of media. Um, we, we reduce, we act as if we can reduce Satan and his power to something, um, that we might be able to control or manipulate. And I just wanted to highlight it because this is a danger zone that I think a lot of people, um, don't recognize the the risk involved.
2: C- completely agree. I think it, I think that there is wise words to be uh, that we need to heed when we hear when we read in Scripture and um, and Paul's letter to the Corinthians that Satan is a fallen angel of light. There's a beauty that allures us to him, and, and to recognize that though he is not like God, uh, unlimited in power, he does have power, and that it, it's very captivating. And the vast majority of Americans um, would say that they do believe in Satan. I think the last poll I saw was uh, approximately 70% of Americans would believe so. But the reality is there's another 30% out there that m- maybe they don't believe in him. But the, regardless, um, as David Foster Wallace said, we're all worshiping creatures. And mm-hmm. As we continue to see numbers um, uh, indicate that individuals, fewer and fewer individuals are choosing to worship Jesus. We know that Satan is very alluring, and um, there is a. It appears as though there's a rise in interest in kind of that satanic, evil mentality that is um, that is just populating everything from wars overseas to the television screens um, in front of our faces every night.
0: Yeah, and I don't want us to be fooled by the claims of so-called Satanists who say they're you know they're really atheists. They're not worshiping Satan. They don't even. You know, like even believe in the reality, the supernatural reality of uh, of his power. Um, Don't be fooled by that. Like those people are fooled like twice. Um, But don't be fooled by claims of Satanists who say they're actually not spiritual. Like that's that is just ridiculous on the face of it.
2: Oh, yeah. Like, that's why I always go back to that David Foster Wallace. He's got a brilliant um, uh, commencement address that he gave to Kenyon College, and he opens it. He makes the assertion that it is largely shared. And I I drew upon the idea that we all worship something. We're all worshipers Mm. in some form or fashion. And uh, the opening illustration is so apt for this. It's uh, one fish turns to another fish and says, how's the water today? The other fish responds, what's water? Uh, We don't even know. There are many individuals that don't even know that they're worshiping right now, i.e., Satanists or i.e. atheists who claim uh, to have an affinity for Satan, uh, or rather a disassociation with Satan. But the reality of the matter is, similar to the fish, they don't even know what water is. They don't even know they're wet um, by um, interacting with this. And as Mm -hmm. Christians, we just need to have a mentality that recognizes that. Yes, we are worshipful creatures, and we are keenly aware of the God who demands and deserves all of our worship, honor, and praise. And we need to be cautious when it comes to the things, the those evil things, to recognize Satan for who he is—a fallen angel of light that holds great temptation and allure. And two, that we are in a battle against him, uh, the powers and principalities, in order that we might be able to not only show but also be the sign of the kingdom of light.
0: Mm. So helpful. We're going to continue our conversation with Nick Pitts in just a moment. I'm going to actually ask him to tell us a story. If I asked you to tell us a story today and I said, tell us a good one, what would you tell us? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners. Well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
2: We're going down.
0: All right. Sometimes we just need a good story. Nick Pitts, tell
2: us a story. Oh, my goodness, Carmen. Uh, We haven't even talked about this, but when you sent over this article to me, I just want you to know that my soul leapt for joy. I have been (laughs) the biggest evangelist for going to see Top Gun 2 uh, (laughs) among my friends saying that it's one of the top 20 movies that I've ever seen in my life. And I still stand by that claim. It's an incredible movie. And now it makes me love it even more after reading about this. And so there is an individual um, context during the Vietnam War. We were suffering great difficulty when it came to fighter uh, dogfighting, fighter pilots uh, fighting against other fighter pilots in the sky, to the extent that there was a study that was put out that examined the years 1965 to 1967, I believe. And what it found is that there was a kill ratio of two to one. For every two U.S. planes, uh, for every two planes U.S. pilots shot down, they lost one. Well, in comes an individual named Dan Peterson, who has popularized the phrase, God is my co-pilot. Peterson was going to be tapped by military officials to start what we now know as the Top Gun School. And because of his keen commitment and his arduous work, just incredibly, incredible work. He was able to change that number of two to one to 22 to one after after a few years of fighter pilots going into this. And to think and to know at the very bottom, of course, we know is someone that recognizes one, God is his co-pilot and two, his commitment to excellence has not only glorified his father in heaven, but has also uh, made our country safer and um, helped us in our fight against evil.
0: So I love one of the things that um, that he says in terms of his motivation. So this comes uh, from 1967. Peterson was flying off the USS Enterprise off of the Vietnam coast. And in just four months, his air group lost 13 men. And he said that he recalled, you go to dinner at night and there are empty chairs at the table. Um, This desire for um, for that not to be the reality here on Earth sparks in me the reality that right now there are empty chairs at a table set in the kingdom of heaven and i want as chairs are emptied here upon the earth through all manner of um of conflict and and war and famine and disease and on and on and on i want the chairs in heaven to be filled like i want those empty chairs at the table um, in heaven to be filled. And that was one of the things, I mean, I know that it's not what he's talking about in his article, but sometimes, you know, where your mind goes, Nick, you're just like, wow, the, the image of empty chairs here reminds me that as the, as the chairs are emptied here, they're filled someplace else in either heaven or hell. And I want the chairs in heaven to be filled.
2: Completely agree. Completely agree. And we have a great opportunity as what Peterson did, uh, one of just recognizing there is a great there's a great need and we've been given a great opportunity now some are going to build top gun schools um, that are going to help our U.S. military but all of us are going to encounter ourselves in a danger zone because we're entering into spiritual warfare right and it's going to be us to have the opportunity to be able to to not only just share the message of Jesus but show the, the love of Jesus to a lost and dying world so that we make heaven a little bit more populous and this world a little bit of a better place because of the work that we do.
0: Yeah, I love um, how he gives God all the honor and glory, Um, you know, just acknowledging, he says, when I look back at how we pulled it all together, it's clear to me that the acting hand of God was far mightier than my own. Um, I prayed for the gift of discernment to make it work, and God granted that gift. It's so... um, it's such an inspiring story. You guys can read it for yourself at CBN. Um, that's the Christian Broadcasting Network, CBN dot com. You're looking for um, you're looking for an article. God is my co-pilot. The founder of Top Gun School talks about how it all got started. Nick, as always, what a joy um, to talk with you. Any any walk off thoughts this morning on um, on storytelling and the the importance of loving to tell the story?
2: Oh, I. I I have always gravitated around a quote by N.T. Wright, and he says, he has this phrase that he says in one of his books on Psalms, he says that you can tell someone to do something, and it'll change their day. You can tell a story, and it'll change their life, and to know that this reality that we are all storytellers in some form or fashion, and we have an opportunity to share our story um, because we are the world's leading experts on that. To share that story to point to the greater story which is what jesus has done in our life and then also um, individuals are yearning to be able especially in this world that we're living in right now that's coming out of this pandemic people are desperate to be able to to share and to be seen and to be known and an opportunity for us to tell, ask questions that I offer people the opportunity to talk about what they love the most, which is usually themselves, and share their story um, and ha- have us the opportunity to be able to share about his story and how much he loves us and loves them.
0: Mm, amen. Amen. Nick, as always, uh, a great joy to talk with you. We appreciate your uh, your fellowship in the Spirit and your being with us here today.
2: So great to be with you, Carmen.
0: You can find Nick um, on Twitter at JNickPitts, or you can always find him at the Institute for Global Engagement. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. I love that you're sending me uh, your signs. So thank you so much. Um, You can text me. What's your sign? You can text me at 877-933-2484 if you missed the lead in. We're not talking about, you know, your astrological sign. We're talking about the sign that you use um, or that how God uses you as a sign to point beyond yourself and the circumstances of this world to the reality of him and the kingdom of heaven. So um, I love this. Uh, this friend says, my signs are Nehemiah 810, praying you find joy in your journey, and number 625, praying you see the sun, S-O-N, shine on your day. Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that. Okay, so keep them coming. Um. Uh, Doug says, um, my sign would say God is good. And then, you know, obviously I got into the sign war and I texted back all the time And he texted back all the time. And so I am now texting back. God is good because that's how a sign war works. Okay, there you go. Now you're in on it. Okay, so this is not the beginning of a joke. This is the beginning of a headline. President Russian President Putin, Iran's uh, uh, supreme leader and the president of Turkey walk into a room, sit down together, hash out their common concerns and mutual commitments. What could go wrong? Here's the lead from The Washington Post this morning. Russian President Vladimir Putin's visit to Iran uh, starts on Tuesday, intended to deepen ties with regional heavyweights as part of Moscow's challenge to the United States and Europe amid its grinding campaign in Ukraine. So if you wondered um, what effect would the president of the United States trip to the Middle East have on other heavyweights around the world? Here is one answer to that question. When the president says, hey, I just want to let everybody know we're flexing our muscles and making sure that, you know, we're not um, we're not receding from the international scene. We're not going to let Russia or China or Iran um, press in. Well, Russia and Iran and Turkey are pressing in today. Um, this is only President Putin's second trip outside of Russia since um, his tanks rolled into neighboring Ukraine in February. He is uh, holding talks with Iran's president and Turkish president uh, Erdogan about the issues that they face in um, in what they consider their region of the world, uh, including the conflict in Syria and a U.N.-backed proposal to resume exports of Ukrainian grain to ease the global food crisis. So let me just note that the United Nations is working with these three actors, in particular, uh, Syria and Russia on the issue related to Ukrainian grain and uh and it getting out of those ports in the Black Sea. Notice who's not involved in that international um negotiation. Yeah, that would be uh the rest of Europe, anybody in NATO, the United States. Mhm. Yeah. The West um, has heaped sanctions on Russia, and it's been a really costly campaign for them in Ukraine. And Putin is seeking to bolster his ties with Tehran. Um, He actually uh, sent some guys to check out some weapons in Iran that would be capable for possible use in Ukraine. Um, And the gathering of these three is more than just symbolic, um, although it's going to be very powerful for Putin's domestic audience in Russia, showing that Russia has international clout and that the U.N. needs Russia to uh, to feed the starving world. Um, and and I think that it's also significant. I mean, the timing is significant, right? Just days after the U.S. President Joe Biden visited both Israel and Saudi Arabia, Um who are certainly Iran's primary rivals in the region. So there's a lot going on on the international front. And so we are going to take a spin around the globe with Luke Moon next from the Philos Project. What in the world is going on in the world? What's your reaction to Biden's trip to Israel and Saudi Arabia? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: The wise men will bow down before the throne, and at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns when the man comes around.
0: Human signpost Luke Moon is back from the Philos Project. You can find him at PhilosProject.org. You're going to spell that with a P-H-P-H-I-L-O-S-Project.org. Hey, Luke, where's your sign?
1: Uh, Good morning. Good morning.
0: It's okay. (laughs) I know. I know so i start I started off this morning with a sign war that's going on in- M- in Missouri that was started by the McDonald's and then everybody else got involved and it reminded me that each and every one of us is a human signpost pointing people you know in uh. one direction or another, which then of course reminded me that I had recently seen a picture of you on Twitter holding a sign um in front of a convention center, and your sign in that poly- poly- uh, in that particular case said don't divide Christians and Jews. But you're kind of a sign guy. I've seen you holding signs in other places on other occasions as well. So um, I just want to thank you for being a person who points beyond himself to the kingdom of God and always invites people into provocative conversations.
1: Well, I I like to do that. I, I, you know, even when I was like in high school, I would, you know, I'm of the mind that, you know, uh, a guy, a conservative can also hold signs and, you know, do protests and, you know, mobilize communities and that kind of thing. So I've done it for a long time actually.
0: I know. I love it. Okay. So um I really would love to get your reaction to President Biden's trip to Is. let's start with Israel. Let's start with your reaction to President Biden's trip to Israel.
1: Well I actually was was kind of pleased with it, um, which is, you know, I'm I'm pretty critical of Biden, so it's a, you know, it's a lot, but it was, there was a lot I felt that could go wrong. Uh, And he consistently just kind of uh, held a good tone. Um, He said, you know, you don't have to be uh, Jewish to be a Zionist, which is, which is great. He uh, support, uh, reaffirmed support for a two state solution, um, which I think is important for uh, you know, the Palestinian self determination as well as Israeli self determination. Uh, I, you know, overall, I was, I was pretty happy with the trip.
0: Okay. And then, um, at the end of that trip, he flew from Israel to Saudi Arabia. Why is that significant? Because I felt like that of, of all the things that happened, that was kind of important.
1: Well, actually, yeah, that, that is very important because it, uh, because Saudi Arabia allowed uh for the first time uh, flights from Israel uh to to Saudi Arabia. Uh and, I mean I'm sure Biden could have done it anyways, but he would have had to go through a third place. But you know, it's it's part of an ongoing kind of warming of relationships between Saudi Arabia and, and Israel. Um, And they had allowed once once the Abraham Accords had been signed with with Israel and uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, you know, the basically the way that you fly from from Israel to to Dubai is over Saudi Arabia and uh, Saudi Arabia allowed that to happen. And, you know, it's just this continued uh, warming of relationships. And, And I think sooner or later uh Saudi Arabia is going to be part of those Abraham accords.
0: That's so exciting. All right, so um let's now talk about um Biden in Saudi Arabia. Um there's so many threads we could pull here. I'm wondering um maybe you know what are just some of your reactions or takeaways uh from the president's trip specifically to Saudi Arabia.
1: Well, I think I mean, you know, Biden was had a challenging Uh, you know, thing he was trying to do, in which he was trying to obviously encourage more oil production that would continue to drive down the price of gas, which is a major driver of inflation right now. And then, but also, you know, he had to uh, be seen addressing the human rights issues in the country, but more specifically, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the murder of the former journalist, uh, Khashoggi, who was murdered in, uh, in, in Turkey, um, by it appears Saudi Arabian agents. So you have that kind of backdrop in which he, you know, went to went to Saudi Arabia, but he met with the Gulf state countries. And really, you know, I think the, wh- where Biden was, was trying to go is where, the the Gulf region in particular is trying to go anyways, which is this choice that the Middle East has between um, between Islamism or pluralism and normalization with Israel. And I think that's really the the kind of the main thrust of of a lot of the conversation taking place in the region when there is this Islamic civil war in the background between Iran and Saudi Arabia, and you know the Biden administration is is trying to revive the you know the nuclear deal, Uh, and it's with Iran, and at the same time not you know uh, also it also kind of needs oil from Saudi Arabia, and you know there's it's much a a much stronger kind of economic region uh, in the Middle East. And so he's trying to do that balancing act where, where on one hand, uh, make a deal with Iran, on the other hand, not lose its relationship with the Saudis and the other Gulf states.
0: So before we pivot to a conversation about your experience at the um, Presbyterian Church USA General Assembly and that denomination's declaration of Israel as an apartheid state, I want to have a super quick but general conversation about Americans traveling abroad, because it seems as if Americans continue to be surprised that other nations apply the full force of their laws, their domestic laws, to Americans when we arrive on their soil. You travel a lot. You travel to places that are hostile. Um, You travel to places where um, the kinds of freedoms that we enjoy here in the United States are not the law of the land. Can you just give a couple of minutes like reminder and maybe primer to um, to our listeners and and just remind us of sort of the keys to behaving well when traveling internationally, particularly to places that are hostile?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the work that I did in a lot of those countries, Carmen, was 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 actually illegal and it would have gotten me in jail. But so I'm not sure I'm the I'm the best at it. I mean, because I was preaching the gospel and stuff like that. So there's there's that. But I think it is important to recognize that you know the 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 big issues that a lot of places are are concerned about. Um, I mean, there's this big. I remember there's a big sign. Uh, I think it was on the entry when it, when I was coming back from Thailand into Malaysia and. And the, the sign read, uh, drug trafficking is punishable by death. And I was <laughs> like, OK, well, that's 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 kind of that's kind of important. You know, it was in English, too. And, um, you know, so, you know, that kind of, you know, the drug type stuff tends to be uh, cause ire of a lot of authorities a bit more. Um, but it's you know, it's important when you're in another country to obey the laws of that country and uh, be aware of them you know I as most people traveling as tourists are are not going to come into uh, you know the 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 eye of of countries but if you're traveling and with drugs then you will or if you're traveling um, you know doing illegal activity you know obviously I think that you know you're you fall under the under the problem that everybody should fall under, which is if you break the rule of law, you'll get punished by it. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, the that is, that is the reality, you know, in every country I've, I've ever been to. Now, I would yeah. say that, you know, when I, back in the day when I was, I was, you know, traveling to places and, and preaching the gospel and, you know, running from here to there, I tended to move fast um, and not <laughs> stay in any place very long. You know, a day, two days, um, as you know, trying to make sure that I was, you know, staying ahead of anybody's overly bad complaints about me. I would stay in regular um, places, um, eat in regular restaurants, you know, act very normally, uh, and and yet also, you know, preach the gospel. So
0: we're going to continue our conversation. Say say it again.
1: Yes, what? I don't know if that's very helpful.
0: Well, yeah, the mindful (laughs) being mindful of the laws of a particular land to which you are traveling and recognizing that the freedoms we enjoy here in the United States are not uh, the experience of people around the world. And when you cross an international border, um, you ought to know the law of their land and you ought to be prepared to be subject to it Um, and recognizing, yeah, there are some things that we do. Um, by command of the gospel that um gonna put us at risk um I am thinking more of the um of the things that we imagine we are at liberty to do because we are Americans, and that uh just because you're an American doesn't mean that the laws of America apply to you when you're not in the united states and so that was as people prepare to go on summer mission trips, I just felt like yeah. it's just a good re- it's a good bit of a good reminder all right, we are going to um Uh, continue our conversation with Luke Moon here in just a moment, um, because he stood in protest at a meeting here in the United States of America of the Presbyterian Church USA, accusing Israel of apartheid. And we're going to have him bring us an update on what action did that denomination take um, and how can and how might we respond? That's up next on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of what we do on live radio every day. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you at MyFaithRadio.com. Right now, we're inviting you to share your Faith Radio story. What do you love about Faith Radio? What do you love about Mornings with Carmen? How has this program changed the way you think or the way you live, the way you engage others in the conversations of the day? We really do want to hear from you Your story could encourage someone else and certainly glorify God. So share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leave us a message today. Again, thanks for listening. All right, Luke Moon uh, from the Philos Project. You can find what we're going to talk about now at philosproject.org. Luke, you went to Louisville. That is the national headquarters of the Presbyterian Church USA, um, which is uh, still the largest Presbyterian denomination in the country. And when people in um, in Washington and elsewhere think about Presbyterians, this is probably who they're thinking about. It is a very liberal mainline denomination with which I have a lot of historic familiarity. Um, I appreciate the sidewalk stand against anti-Semitism that you took at the national headquarters. Um, tell us what happened at the meeting of the General Assembly of the PCUSA.
1: Yeah, well, um, they had among the many uh, issues that they were dealing with was uh, their international committee was it had a resolution. Right, so they call it overture. Uh, that would label Israel an apartheid state. Um, and, you know, normally the way the General Assembly goes is that they allow outside speakers to come in and give one minute pro or against any overture kind of thing. And because of the they had, you know, co- because of COVID restrictions, which is an interesting excuse and it, now, uh, they, they didn't allow outside speakers to come into the the committee rooms and it was held at the the headquarters um and so we did, we basically organized with the other partners to do a series of actions around uh, in Louisville around the the general assembly we we had events at the hotels where the delegates were staying uh we had a dinner we had and but but it kind of climaxed with a uh, a sidewalk stand in which we had rented a a van that had an electronic billboard on three sides and it drove around for eight hours a day, basically saying, you know, reject anti-Semitism, don't divide Jews and Christians, you know, that kind of thing. And then we also rented a hot air balloon uh, and attached a sign to it uh, and parked it out front of the General Assembly. It was it was all quite fun. Um, but, you know, we ultimately lost. I stood in front of the entrance um, to the to the General Assembly and and had a sign. And, and I stood there and when people would walk in, I would say, good morning, please reject anti-Semitism today. Uh, and there was a, a woman came out. This is kind of funny. There was a woman came out and she, and she said, um, you know, I'm a member of the standing committee and we have determined that people cannot stand within the 25 feet of the entrance to to the building and and i said well is that a rule of the presbyterian church or the city of louisville and she goes well it's a, a rule of the standing committee of the general assembly and i said well i'm <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm I'm not gonna do that and she looked at me like a, like in stunned silence that that i was not going to obey her i she said well i you need to move. I said, well, uh, I'm on the sidewalk, and this is a public space, and according to the Constitution, I can stand right here, so I'm gonna do that. and she she looked at me for another five seconds and then just walked off. It was kind of fun. I, I did enjoy that perhaps too much, Carmen, <laughs> uh, but uh, we did ultimately, they did approve um, the labeling of of Israel and the apartheid state. Um, and, and I, I think it's wrong on several reasons. One is, is, you know, the situation, the comparison is always apartheid is, is drawing, a, a, a comparisons to South Africa in the eighties and nineties. Um, and in, in that situation, there was a minority government, uh, of white government that was ruling over, uh, a majority black population. Uh, and had put into place laws that were intended to keep people apart, and that's that is not the reality in Israel. That's not; it's just not the reality. Um, and the problem is, is I could describe all the situations. You know, there's members of Knesset who are in the, the part of the Arab bloc. There's a member of the Supreme Court, an Arab Muslim. That, but it's not about facts. It's about labeling Israel an apartheid state in order to to garner emotional response, to delegitimize Israel. And it, it, you know, the, when, when any nation that is one of the definitions of anti-Semitism is, is the treating of Israel differently than any other, um, you know, country in the, in the world. And, and, you know, the human rights watch and the peace USA and the, and Amnesty International and a bunch of other human rights organizations have have basically singled out Israel as the only country in the world that is committing apartheid, which is just kind of which which basically really is why I, I think it's labeled why why the why the label of of, of apartheid is is anti-Semitic. Um, and I mean I, the other big thing for me and the reason you know one of the major reasons I went, Carmen is because, you know, there's a 2,000-year history of Christian anti-Semitism. And up until basically probably 75 years ago, you know, we were—Christians were right there with everybody else um, attacking the Jews. And I I think it's—I think any kind any time that there are Christians, people who are self-identifying as Christians, uh, who are doing things which are anti-Semitic, I think it's important for— People like me to call them out on it, and so that's why me and and our partners and um, uh, other people went and and stood at in front of the PCUSA.
0: So if you are a member of a church that is affiliated with the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church, United States of America, USA, this is a conversation you're going to want to have with your pastor and your session, the elders of your church. It's a conversation you're going to want to have with your presbytery. Um, and uh, and so I wanted to, uh, you know, have people be informed because there are still um, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of a million people who are members of PCUSA congregations. Uh, even though it's uh, shrinking they, they at a pretty rapid it rate,
1: it is. I mean, they're losing almost a hundred thousand a year, or a million, one point one million. So basically, you know, in a dozen years, at their current rate, they won't they won't be around. Um, but they're know, making Carmen, a lot
0: they, of noise and a lot of furious they're, noise they're, on their way out.
1: On their way out, they are. They yeah. are. I I do remember though, Carmen. It's like I I you know it's things the things that are happening in these mainline denominations are really insane. I mean, they really are. Um, and, and it's hard. I mean, the, the biggest problem for me is that, you know, as an Orthodox Christian guy, I, you know, I find a lot of, it's not just the policies on Israel that, that, that bother me. It's, it's most of the policies of the denomination, yeah. and it, right. and it's, it's that self-professed Christian stuff, right? Where they're, they're identifying as Christians, but are, Doing things and saying things which are fundamentally unbiblical. I mean, I remember the the first shocking thing was um, it was when I went to um, in 2018. I went to to the General Assembly to. We got like 30 seconds. All right. They they uh, opened their worship session with apologizing for the conquest of Canaan by the Israelites. (laughs) That so that that. That's
0: kind of absurd to me. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Luke, as always, it's always a joy to talk with you. That's Luke Moon. You can find him at the Philo's Project in Providence Magazine. We'll be right back. All right, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app.